Hello everyone, Christian Russell here, and welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Our conversation today will unpack the recent sell-off across risk assets and how you, as investors, should interpret the risk considerations and position yourself accordingly. Plus, we explain why 2022 should be thought of as a tale of two halves when it comes to growth as well as the path forward for both inflation and monetary policy. Joining me for the conversation today, glad to welcome back to Top of the Morning, Jason Dreho, the Head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So, Jason, welcome back. I hope you had a great holiday weekend, and thank you so much for joining us today. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yes, and to stick with Friday's shortened holiday session, fear over the Omicron COVID-19 variant yielded a significant sell-off across risk assets. Can you put some numbers around this for us and speak to how the CIO is interpreting the risk factors? You know, it was a pretty sizable move across a variety of different markets and asset classes. Uh, so for context, you know, the S&P 500 was down 2.3%. Equities in Europe were down somewhere between 3 to 4% depending on the markets. Uh, the VIX volatility index, kind of the fear index of the market, was up 10 points, uh, up to, to 28, which is its highest reading since February. So clearly kind of a pretty big move in terms of you know, risk sentiment. Also big moves in, in treasury yields, uh, you know, with the 10-year treasury yield down six basis points. Uh, but also what the market was pricing for Fed rate hikes next year shifted quite a bit. So, you know, earlier in the week, it was at 2.8 hikes being priced in the market for 2022 by the market close on Friday afternoon down to 2.1. So that's a took out one hike for next year. Uh, and also a very big move in oil, which was down 11.5%. Uh, it was the biggest percentage one-day decline uh, during the entire pandemic, more than any day in, in March of 2020. So it's a very sizable move. And all this is kind of reflected in, you know, you know, the market performance in terms of sectors. Uh, you know, financials were down 3.3%. Energy was down 4.1%. Um, and we even saw, like, you know, big moves in some of the reopening kind of, you know, stocks or airlines or airline-related were down in some cases like, closer to 10% or higher. So it's very much kind of risk-off day, but also a day that was tilted towards potentially slower growth. And, you know, things that were, were winners last year during sort of the stay-at-home versus reopening, that was kind of the plan on Friday. And then, you know, on the currency front, the dollar actually fell against traditional safe havens like the Swiss franc and the Japanese yen. So uh, kind of a classic risk-off kind of day, but it's also Black Friday, you know, very low liquidity. So I think we have to be cautious in interpreting you know, too much, um, you know, from from those numbers, you know, because just a lot of people weren't actively trading. And we're already today we've seen some reversal of that, you know, the, the equity markets in the U.S. are up between 1% to 1.5%, depending on the, the index. Uh, we've seen interest rates, the 10 years back up another, you know, six or seven basis points. Oil is up around 5%. So undoing some of the kind of probably more excessive moves that we saw on Friday in response to this, this news about um, this new Delta or the new variant Omicron. So, Jason, what are you recommending investors do to offset sell-offs and spouts of volatility as we saw recently this past Friday? Well, first, uh, you know, what we're busy advising investors is to kind of stay the course. Uh, don't make significant changes to your portfolio. We simply don't know enough about this, this new variant, you know, Omicron, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, its transmissibility, its uh, you know, severity, like, you know, how sick people will get, its ability to evade and escape from vaccines. Like, there's a lot of unknown questions or unknowns right now. Um, it looks like it might be more transmissible than Delta variant, 
but also not any more severe or maybe actually less severe. But this is, you know, very early, you know, to say. Uh, and so I think it's hard to kind of, you know, kind of make clear investment decisions based on that. What we can, though, is to focus on the things that we do know uh, or at least know with more kind of confidence. Uh, and one is to assess the what the potential impact of growth is. You know, there's a, a fourth wave due to this variant uh, on Omicron. And while there could be an economic impact, uh, it's unlikely to be you know, very severe unless the variant turns out to be really, really, you know, kind of you know, severe in terms of its implications for health. And the reason I say that is that relative to the past waves, we have higher sort of immunity, whether it's from people actually taking you know, the vaccines or naturally because they've been exposed to, you know, the, the COVID you know, virus already. Uh, and we know just from the, the vaccination front today versus even in the summer, more parts of the world are, you know, have you know, greater vaccination. Even in the U.S. now with children as young as five being able to get it, vaccination rates continue to kind of tick higher. So that should provide a little bit more protection. And therefore, hospitalization rates shouldn't rise as significantly as past you know, waves. Uh, another thing is that the economy's ability to sort of manage these waves has improved. Meaning, you know, it's become less sensitive to these waves. And we've seen this because economies can be, or companies can be more adaptable in terms of how they manage their business. Consumers adjust their behavior. Uh, we're seeing also people just wanting to live with it, the risk and understanding like what risk they're willing to take and really how, how risky it is. I think that, that allows us to kind of continue on. So there could be a hit to growth, but it may not be as severe as, as prior waves. At the same time, the data we actually have on the U.S. economy has been very strong. So Wednesday of last week, there was a number of data points were released because it was a shortened holiday. So they came out earlier in the week than they normally would. And whether it was on, you know, kind of consumer spending, personal income, inventories, trade data, kind of across the board, it was all quite strong data, uh, which by the end of it, Tracking estimates for fourth quarter GDP were being revised higher. Uh, what we look at is the Atlanta Fed. It went up to 8.5% for the fourth quarter, and other estimates are in that range. So very strong growth. And then on top of this, you know, there's increasing evidence of supply chains getting a little bit better, whether it's freight costs coming down, you know, tons of ports declining, inventories building up, you know, auto production ramping up. You know, all of it suggests that some of the bottlenecks are at least getting marginally better. So what we know is, the U.S. economy has strong economic momentum right now, and the impact from a very new variant, you know, will not be zero, but it also could be relatively, you know, modest. So I think it's important to kind of keep all that in mind. And then just looking at how much the markets reacted on Friday, the bounce back this morning suggests already there was probably too strong a reaction as, as the dust settled and we have time to kind of assess. The fundamental story over the next, you know, six months really probably hasn't changed very much, uh, but it's going to take a couple of weeks to get more clarity on this variant along with other risk events in the market from the Fed to, to fiscal policy. They could keep the markets volatile. But looking, you know, out into the middle of next year, I think that the story really hasn't changed itself, which is why we ultimately say don't make significant adjustments to your allocations. Yes, and outside of the new COVID-19 variant, there are other risks at play in the market, including the debt ceiling, government funding, and the FOMC meeting on December 15th. Regarding the Fed, what is the market now expecting from that meeting? And what does CIO think? Well, so the expectation or the growing expectation in the market up until Wednesday of last week was that the Fed might actually accelerate its taper. So what they're doing right now is reducing their bond purchase by $15 billion a month for November and December. The next meeting, they could announce that they want to accelerate that. So they'll reduce it by $30 billion a month, you know, for the, or potentially $30 billion a month, starting in January, which would mean they'd be essentially done sort of cheaper in their purchases by, you know, March. And then once they're done that, then they could 
have scope to start raising interest rates, you know, even sooner than people were thinking just a matter of a few weeks ago. The news on Friday, you know, you know, more of a potential speed bump to that. Uh, you know, I think in the past the Fed has been, you know, kind of clear that they don't think, you know, the, the Delta situation or the, the, you know, the COVID situation is at this point too detrimental to growth. I want them more focused on the labor market recovery and inflation. But at the margin, it does make them maybe, you know, this kind of throws a wrinkle into the plans of, of them wanting to accelerate the tapering. Really what's going to matter most between now and December 15th is sort of data that comes out, you know, this week on Friday for the November non-farm payrolls, but also then later in the month, uh, December 10th, we will get November inflation, which is likely to still be high around 6%. That will give the Fed sort of all the data that they can have to decide, do we want to maybe accelerate the, you know, the tapering plan? And also give maybe more clarity on what they intend to do regarding rate hikes next year. Uh, and probably they'll probably indicate more hikes than they have in the past. Ultimately, we don't think they're going to change their their plans in terms of tapering. They'll stay the course, you know, waiting for a little more information. Um, but I think that's kind of the uncertainty of the, for the markets. Um, if it turns out the Fed ends up being a little more dovish, all sequel that that's positive and will help. I think you know, risk markets and equities have a little bit of a rally to in the very end of the year and the start of next year. But I think that, that that is still kind of on the table in terms of what they might actually do. A number of officials have been suggesting they, you know, the right strategy is a faster taper. The, the Omicron news might kind of cause them to delay at least a little bit in terms of how aggressive they're going to be within a couple of weeks. Moving forward, 2022, the year ahead outlook is framed as a tale of two halves from a growth, inflation, and monetary policy standpoint. Jason, can you walk us through your expectations and risks for 2022, especially in light of recent news and developments? Well, if we start with growth, you know, it's, as I mentioned, that, that right now the current trend in the U.S. economy is very strong, and that's going to continue or should continue into the, at least the first quarter of next year. But what we'll see is very strong growth in the first half that moderates back towards kind of longer-term trends by the end of the year. So overall, you know, something like around 4% GDP growth in, you know, 2020-22, but it's more front-loaded into Q1 and Q2 versus the second half of the year. Um, you know, given this, this you know, variant, there is additional downside risk to the, you know, to the growth environment. Um, but, you know, at this point in time, it's likely to be relatively modest and, you know, not that long-lasting, maybe a quarter or two. But now there is a little bit of additional risk there. If we then turn to inflation, which is a risk, you know, we know the numbers are high and then they're likely to stay, you know, quite elevated, at least until February, March, and then start to come down. And part just because of the year-over-year effects means that inflation will sort of moderate to some extent. The question then is just how much, you know, how much is transitory versus how much is kind of, you know, built in of cyclical pressures, whether it's because of rising wages, and we'll get a better indication on Friday when we get that November number, of not just you know, jobs created, but also like what is wage growth. Um, we're also seeing data on, you know, rent and housing prices going up a lot, and shelter collectively is about a third of the inflation in measures, you know, between 30 and 40 percent, depending on which gauge it is. And at least the latest measures on rent is very strong. And this is really what the key driver to that that component of inflation. If that persists at these kind of levels and that's a upside risk to inflation, if that happens, then all single maybe we get a Fed that's more aggressive and tightening and then the market, even if it's pricing for some hikes, isn't fully prepared. I think at least equities for a more significant move on what the Fed might have to do to combat inflation. So that is sort of a bit of an unknown, even if the market's expecting something you know, the Fed does have to start to take a more hawkish tone uh, and the markets start to price that in, then I think that, that is also a risk for next year. 
it really kind of comes down to the fundamentals. We know growth is going to be good, but moderating. Uh, we know inflation is high, but we'll moderate, but it's hard to say how much. And that leaves kind of the Fed as a bit of the wild card. Like, how does it have to respond to this? How aggressive do they have to be? And how much does the labor market sort of recover that gives them some sort of leeway to either be more aggressive or less aggressive? So I think that those are the key risks, aside from the other, say, political risks that materialize or, of course, something on the on the COVID front. Another barrier could materialize that would be even worse than anything we've experienced thus far, even worse than maybe Omicron could end up being. Okay, Jason, thank you for breaking all that down for us. And as we begin to close out on our conversation today, I recall we recently spoke about CIO's broader year-ahead outlook, a year of discovery, where you outlined how investors should consider positioning portfolios for the growth outlook you have just shared with us. Can you remind us of CIO's allocation recommendations? So since our, our kind of fundamental economic views still pretty relatively constructive on growth, one of the key messages is the position uh, you know, for the winners of global growth. Well, meaning, you know, some of the value stocks, uh, including financial energy that were beaten up on Friday, we think those will continue to kind of come back as, as oil prices go higher, the interest rates go higher. Um, you know, areas like mid-cap equities, which I think with their earnings outlook still remains quite strong into next year. So things that should benefit from global growth continue to be quite strong next year. The market has maybe been discounted a little bit too much. But as Friday reminded us, you know, it's important to be maybe you know, diversified and almost take a bit of a barbell approach. So that while on the one hand you have these winners of global growth, you also maybe want to have some things that could you know, benefit from uh, if things go wrong. And healthcare is the sector that we like. It's kind of by nature, it tends to be a little more defensive, uh, but it also has growth attributes. Uh, I think it's noteworthy that on Friday of the 11 S&P 500 sectors, it was the top performer. Um, it was still down, you know, 45 basis points versus the S&P down, uh, you know, 2.27%. Um, and certainly the other sectors I mentioned, energy and finances, which are down 3 and 4%. So I think that's a good example. Like if you pair them, then you sort of net out to, you know, to something that's kind of more your market-based, uh, but picking up those that I think we could do relatively well. A couple other ideas is that in an environment where maybe the Fed will be looking to, to start raising rates next year, um, or at least taking away accommodation versus other major central banks, that should be positive for the U.S. dollar. So that's something to keep in mind is you kind of think about where to invest globally, that the dollar might continue to appreciate a little bit. Um, rates will rise, but unless they be significant. So looking for things that are a little bit more unconventional to generate income. So within that, we still like, you know, senior loans is something that's going to be you know, insensitive to, to rising rates or, or very, less, very low sensitivity in private credit markets. Uh, taking advantage of the volatility to kind of maybe sell some volatility. And we know a number of people do that to, to generate income. And then finally, looking a little bit more long-term, you know, we don't want to be so focused on the next three or six months where there's not necessarily a huge amount of transparency, but long-term we think there are, there are themes to take advantage of, including within sort of the tech space, something we call the you know, ABCs of tech, which are more sort of kind of specific plays within, in the tech space aside from the mega cap names. And the idea behind it is, is it plays off of, you know, kind of, you know, AI, um, you know, cybersecurity, um, and things of that sort to give you a little more diversification opportunities for, for long-term growth. And then also sort of this transition towards sort of net zero carbon emissions, companies that would benefit from, you know, from that. So, you know, again, sort of looking long-term, take advantage of those opportunities that uh, you could perform very well for the next decade. Jason, thank you again for giving us the Chief Investment Office's macro outlook in consideration of the risk factors that have developed over the past few days and how investors should respond accordingly. 
Again, today we have been joined by Jason Dreho, Head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. As a reminder to our clients and listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office authors a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can be found on UBS.com forward slash CIO including the latest UBS House View Investment Strategy Guide and monthly letter, title of which is What's Next. For clients of UBS, please contact your financial advisor to learn more and to receive a copy of the publication directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes and Spotify. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. For UBS Studios, I'm Christian Russell. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.